Hello, and welcome back to Real-Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts, Caitlin Redwing, joined once again by my co-host, Sam Mosier. Um, today, we will be discussing the growing industry that is VR and AR, or mixed reality, as some of you may say. Um, I will be using all terms today, and probably incorrectly, and I apologize. It's There's a lot of terms, um, but it's a very topical discussion today as Apple just announced their latest product, product the Vision Pro. Um, and so we are joined today by Rob Alvarez, the marketing director at Alchemy Labs, the Google-owned VR studio behind hit games like Job Simulator, Vacation Simulator, and their most recent game, Cosmonia is High. Rob has many years of experience in product marketing and marketing communications. He's worked at the Walt Disney Company, PlayStation, EA, Ubisoft before, and many others before joining Alchemy Labs. So thank you for joining us today, Rob. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to see you both. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rob uh, conveniently is one of our clients, so we see each other weekly and we're just on another call t- today, but this is a, it's a different environment, so it's nice. Totally. <laughs> Um, well, to kick us off, since we are talking about VR and all of that stuff today, I have a question for you. What is your favorite VR game? And you cannot say an Alchemy Labs title. Because <laughs> oh my God, that would how be can cheating, I not do that? <laughs> even if it's true, and even if I love the Alchemy Labs titles. Great. Well, you know, I actually have two uh, VR titles that I really enjoy. Um, and, you know, I, I played a lot of different games, but I it's, this is going to become probably a surprise, but... I've been playing a lot of cubism and the reason why I like cubism is that it's a, you know, easy to game to understand, but a hard game to master. Um, It's controller free. um, So it uses hand tracking, super engaging. And as you play the game, it gets difficult as you, as the levels progress. Um, And then, you know, as you play, you know, there's flat shapes, there's also pyramids and it just gets increasingly, increasingly complex um, overall, but it's not, it's not one of those games that you can't master. And that's what I love about it. It's not frustrating. And I think one of the things I really appreciate is the classical music. It's kind of meditative, relaxing. And so after a day's work, a little cubism is really, really great to, to engage in. That's also funny hearing that out of context because a little cubism after work is like, oh, he's looking at Picasso paintings after work. (laughs) I searched up cubism and I was like, oh, duh, this is an art style. And I was like, I have to be specific because this is the first time I've heard of cubism. Well, it's, you know, it's a a great game. I mean, you should check it out if you haven't played it already. Um, It really provides a a completely um, creative place where you're basically puzzle solving different shapes and you're moving pieces um, in, a, in a virtual space all that all against classical music and I'm not a big classical music fan but just that experience is incredibly meditative I do yoga so um, for me to get kind of engaged in something like this is is sort of within the line of stuff I do but on the flip side super hot which is, you know, a s- incredibly super addictive FPS yes. <laughs> with a lot of, with a really, really cool aesthetic um, that really makes you feel like a badass action hero after you've played at, when you watch your replays and stuff is the other game I love. I mean, it's, it's, it, it was built, and I'm a first person pl- um, shooter fan. 
Um, I've been playing first person shooters all my, uh, all my career, not only in career and in, in gaming, but I've, I've been playing, playing it just for fun. And super like super hot has been one of those um, unique gameplay experiences where as you play the world around you slows down and you shoot and you shoot and you're shooting your enemies who are stylized in these red um, red shapes and they shatter into pieces. Um, it kind of reminds me of there we go. Kind of reminds me of um, when I originally played Max Payne and you had that bullet time where everything kind of mm-hmm. slowed down. Um, really, really great game. Love it to death. Yeah, Super Hot VR is one of maybe my like up there, my favorite two hours of gaming just ever. <laughs> I did it all in one shot. Uh, was sweaty by the end of it, but it truly is like the closest thing we have. I know there are Matrix games, but the closest thing I really feel like we have to a Matrix simulator totally. uh, in gaming. <laughs> I mean, it's got a decent campaign length. Um, it's clever, has challenging levels, and it has an endless mode with a lot of different challenges. So really, really fun. Um, and it, it has a lot of replay value. So um, you, you never really get tired of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've played it through several times. You never stop, like you said, feeling like a badass um, <laughs> when you play. And there's a good amount of support for it too. Like I like the bonus levels and uh, it's also a fun game. I think, you know, something that helps with certain VR titles is it being fun to watch other people play. And oh, so sure. that's that's one where people would come over. I would put them in super hot VR and I would just have a good time watching them play for an hour doing the ducking and the dodging and a big stupid grin on their face the whole time. Yeah. And, and the other, I would also add that the other component of which makes it um, an interesting game is it, it does have a strategic strategic component to it. Um, I'm also a, a RTS fan as well. And so, you know, I played Command, the Command and Conquer series. I know that EA relaunched the whole new... I haven't had a chance to play that series again. Otherwise, I'd be probably playing it to death and no one would ever see me again. <laughs> but I do like um, real-time strategy games as well. So this is this actually blends... A, a real, it's a blend of a really good first-person shooter with a lot of strategic elements. Mm-hmm. Love it. Really, really just fun to play. I, I really need to... I have uh, Super Hot, but... I have been playing, um, oh, I'm totally drawing a blank, Pistol Whip, which is sort of similar, <laughs> but I like the musical aspect and trying to do it on beat. Um, so I like, I am, I want to say I'm a tone deaf person and like don't understand music at all, but I love musical based games. And so like forcing myself to try and like do things on the beat, I feel like it's, it really works my brain. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely need to try out super hot and i would love to see a, a hand tracking update for that game i think that's it's one of those games that would just be and that would be easy to do too i think yeah. hand tracking would be an awesome implementation into super hot yeah but basically the games that i like is what sam says i play until i'm like i can feel the sweat like dripping into my <laughs> eyes like with the headset on and you can't wipe your eyes away and i'm like oh my goodness because anytime i I like, I don't play VR every single day, but when I do, I'm like, it's like multiple hours and it's like intensive game. And then I'm just like. (laughs) What you really need is I think meta or, or even um, Apple needs to come up with some sort of like wipers that can (laughs) or something as you're playing the game. Cause it's, you know, a lot of these experiences, you know, just like any gaming experience, especially when you're, when you're, you know, up against others or playing a match against the AI and the computer is really, is really stressful. 
you're moving, you're thinking, you know, you're using all your senses to really just play the level and get through it. And, yeah. um, and then you die and then you die and then you die again. And then, you know, <laughs> and then there's, and then you win. <laughs> so it can create a lot of stress and a lot of sweat around the eyes. So you're probably doing a lot of this, right? Yeah. I mean, th- that would be, that would justify the $3,500 price point. Of the, I'm the getting wipers. ahead of myself of the vision. Yeah. That was actually the most disappointing um, part of the announcement, but there's a lot of really great things um, that the, the vision pro is going to bring. Yeah. Um, to VR and AR. Yeah. Um, and I'm incredibly excited about their announcement. It's, well, it's, uh, I, I thought it was a watershed moment um, because we've only had one player in town and that's been Meta. And we really needed someone else to come into the market to help us sort of grow the industry. Um, and I think having more than one competitor really, really helps uh, uh, pave the path for a more competitive, more innovative um opportunity for for all and anyone who's in vr uh we are we're jumping a little bit ahead (laughs) i i do want to talk about we'll we'll talk about that more and just i really appreciate your insight there and agree with you uh but want to talk a little bit about your background um so people kind of they're like who is this person talking um i i mentioned a little bit that you've worked for many prominent companies such as Disney, PlayStation, EA, Ubisoft. Um, but do you want to talk a little bit about like, how did you first get into the video game industry? Why? So that's, Just... that, that's a good question. Um, so my first foray into the video game industry was when I joined Sega um, and was part of the Dreamcast um, mm-hmm. era. Um, I joined as a product marketing manager right out of college um, and I was brought in to manage Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic brand, basically, and launch um, Sonic Avenger 2. Um, I was also brought in to work on Shenmue, which was created by the legendary Yu Suzuki, um, as well as Virtual Fighter, Super Monkey Ball, um, and Rez by Tetsuya Mitsuguchi, um, and just to name a few. And one of my favorite games as as I worked at Sega was House of the Dead. Um, incredibly amazing and fun game. That actually became... Um, a, a B film uh, that was released <laughs> sometime in 2002, 2003. I don't think it did very well, but that was, you know, that's, you know, it, in our industry, tra- tra- cross media and transmedia is really, really popular. And actually we're starting to see uh, better implementations of uh, video games going into um, movie productions. Um, so it's been great. Yeah. I, House of the Dead um, did not do well, but it still got a sequel in 2005. It did get a sequel. (laughs) So, which also did not do well. (laughs) Um, But it, I mean, the first, the first movie had a 2.1 rating. I'm just looking at IMDb. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. The second one had a 3.7, you know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Although it didn't have a great um, rating. I thought, you know, for you know, early on in the video game industry, we, we didn't get a lot of interest from Hollywood in mm-hmm. in video game IP. Not because the IPs were you know not didn't have a lot of story or there wasn't anything to kind of expand on it. I think that that was a missed opportunity. But as you know, Hollywood has run run out of ideas, and you know we're seeing movies like The Last of Us, um, the Gran Turismo movie. I think Sony is doing an amazing job in bringing their IP treasure chest to 
um, to motion pictures and stuff. And I think the storytelling, because the medium is becoming very story driven, we're seeing a lot of these movies make the jump into um, feature films, which is incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, and I love to see um, as the, our industry is growing from, you know, a very sort of niche industry to incredibly mass market. Um, yeah, it definitely feels more mainstream. But I, I do want to ask do you, do you think the Hollywood's decision to start making adaptations from video games, do you think it's a lack of ideas? Or do you think it's more of they're trying to play it safe right now? Because that's, it almost seems like they're trying to play it safe with the other ideas they're doing where it's like everything has to be a franchise. Everything has to be a major IP. It almost feels like they're scared. Like we've lost that um, mid budget movie. It's like you either have the really small indie films that like a 24 will like pick up or it's, it's the Marvels and the DCs and the fast franchise. Sure. You know, I think when I think about um, some of the movies that are being created um, out of video games, I think the best case study right now is The Last of Us. Mm -hmm. um, that was not an established franchise by Naughty Dog. I mean, if you want to talk about an established franchise, Jack and Daxter has yeah. multiple, multiple sequels. I worked on Jack, Jack and Daxter while I was at Sony. Um, and, you know, we could never get a movie deal for that. I, I don't think we were looking for one anyway. Um, during my time there, but it would have been really hard for us to create either e even a animated series around that. Um, I do think it. I do think Hollywood goes through its up, ups and downs in terms of ideas, um, and I think right now um, there is a. There, I believe there is a writer strike. I'm not 100 percent sure where yes. that is. Yep. Um, but I think that they're leaning into um, IPs. I mean, video game. Um, developers write their own story scripts. They are very involved in the development of those scripts. Those scripts can go into Hollywood. There's a lot of collaboration. They're not part of those unions and stuff. And I think that there's an opportunity when things like this happen is that there's an opportunity for um, IP such as The Last of Us um, to really, really make it big in, in cinema. And I think, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more um, from Sony specifically, because they do have a movie studio as part of their um, their company. And so I, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more video games make it into the market um, as, in terms of feature films. The Last of Us was incredibly amazing. I loved it. I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> yeah, same. And, oh, it was so nice to see, like, I got so many friends and family members who I've been like talking about this video game to them for years in their ear. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then like, finally the show came out and they were all watching and I got to see like their reactions in real time. And it was just nice to be able to share this story with them. Um, and I definitely like, I thank you for mentioning like, yes, Sony does have their movie studio and I do see them like, kind of following almost what Naughty Dog did, but even more so of like, how do they now, how do we make video games with film and TV in mind? Like, actually, I'm pretty sure Netflix announced it and I can't remember what game it is, but they announced Horizon. Like, is that what it was called? I think it was Horizon. That um, it's a game that they're publishing, but it will be published with a TV show. Oh, my apologies. Sorry. No, Netflix is doing a Horizon show. I'm yeah. not familiar with a, a game and show no, tie-in. It's I it's see. something different where I, because it's not, it's a new IP, but they're basically like, they're making a game, but mm -hmm. 
but it's coming out with a TV show. Like they're already this whole transmedia thing. It's being more integrated. And I and think, I think Netflix, I, th- I agree. I think Netflix is in a perfect place to be able to do this kind of stuff more so than, you know, other studios because they, um, have the resources and the ability to launch, you know, movies or series, you know, day and date, and you can get, you can get everything all at once. They're not, it's not episodic in terms of like having to wait for a week to actually in- engage and, you know, see the next chapter. Um, they can, they can actually basically get all their ducks in a row and launch both a movie and a game at the same time to really, really make it into a temple um, yeah. activity or event. Yeah. They don't have to do negotiate with uh, theaters or do like film festivals or they, they might, if they think it's good enough and want to be up for like awards and stuff, but it, that would be just like a limited select theater type thing really for them. It's sure. That's probably not the, the main focus of these things. And Rob, it must be pretty surreal. You talked about like, the inability to get a Jack and Daxter cartoon as much as I would have loved to see that. Um, but you mentioned working at Sega, like finally feels like long overdue Sonic the Hedgehog being quite the blockbuster movie franchise. You know, the third one's coming out next December. There's a show coming on Paramount plus. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's a testament to, I mean, and I started thinking like there is, you know, uncharted movie that was, that was launched with um, that did, that did fairly well. And so you're, you're beginning to see a lot of these characters and um, IPs really, really just transcend into movies. And I think, it, I think it's both, like I said, I think it's both a lack of ideas from Hollywood, but I think the power of um, the, the characters and the worlds that um, have become increasingly popular with not only, you know, not only a niche, it's not only a niche group of people, it's, it's, it's mass market. It's, young kids uh, through um, adults that are enjoying um, all this. I mean, we had the Mario movie as well, you know, and Mario is evergreen. Um, it's Nintendo's uh, tentpole character and just seeing all this, all this um, activity around video game IPs is really quite amazing, especially at this time. But I think the time is right. I think that there is a ge- like multiple generations that have played, experienced these wonderful games that have really driven the imagination of people, um, their engagement, their love for each of the characters, each of the the stories around the characters, and really, really created a, a phenomenon that is just incredibly beautiful for 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 anyone to engage in. Well said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. I I mean, I know we could like sit and talk about video game to movie and TV adaptations all day, but I will, (laughs) I will try to push this forward. Um, uh, Yeah, there is, you've, you've just worked with so many like fascinating companies. I'm like, I don't know which one to ask you about next, but I guess really just since you, you worked with many different companies on different kinds of um, branding, like what drove you to VR or Alchemy Labs? Was it just like, the natural next step since it was just another pillar in the gaming industry that you hadn't done yet or, you know, I, I think so a couple of things, you know, I've, I've worked on all types of genres of video games. I've worked on all sorts of platforms, Dreamcast, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3. I was part of the launch t- team for PlayStation 3. Um, 
Xbox, Nintendo, Nintendo platforms such as the GameCube, Game Boy Advance. Um, I've even worked on social, um, Facebook social games, um, the PlayStation Move, and I, I launched that for for PlayStation. And so, you know, working on a lot of these different mediums, I think VR is a completely new way, incredibly immersive way to experience um, these worlds, these gaming worlds that are being built. And it was definitely a natural progression to go in and do something um, that is incredibly deep and immersive, um, but accessible for, for people who love to play games. Um, you know, in my, in my career in gaming, um, I, I don't believe that there has been anything like VR that is, that is really transformative. And we're really early on in the uh, technology around VR with the headsets. Um, I think Vision Pro is going to really innovate and revolutionize that. But um, and as that happens, you know, think games like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're they're, they're launching because I don't have any um, uh, industry knowledge, but I can't even I can't even imagine what it would be like to play a Call of Duty on a VR headset as we play it on a PC. Um, yeah. But using a VR headset as a medium to play something as immersive as that, or um, Grand Theft Auto, and when we're able to play those experiences. Um, in VR, I think it's going to be transformative. I'm excited. I mean, I, for one, you know, we're coming off of the summer game fest season. I know we haven't seen official gameplay yet, but Ubisoft is working on Assassin's Creed Nexus, um, the first dedicated AC game for VR platforms. And, um, you know, like you said, it, we're years away from being able to have like a call of duty equivalent experience in VR, but just the thought of like, entering these historical eras, returning to some of the franchise's most beloved characters. Like, again, like this is the early phases. Just imagine where we're going to be in just five years, 10 years, et cetera. Yeah, I would even say in three years. I'm hoping that um, as, the, as the headsets get more um, advanced, that we will be able to play these experiences by 2026, 2027. I'm really optimistic that um, VR is going to have um, substantial growth. Yeah, I mean, we I oh, I wish I had pulled it up, um, what the year over year is on the VR industry just expanding. But I mean, we've already seen two headsets announced this year for the U.S. markets and I think global markets just with the MetaQuest Three and the Vision Pro. And last year, Meta had their the MetaQuest is the MetaQuest Pro. That's right. We're get, we're getting to the point now where I'm like confusing the names because it's <laughs> very complicated. <laughs> Um, Apple should have just called it the, the AR headset one, just like certain numbering it, like the, I, the iPhones. Um, yeah, I really can't wait. And I, Sam, thank you for mentioning the Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed's Nexus. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Was Speaking it just of a, a franchise with names hard to keep track of? I know. <laughs> right. There's, you know, there's so many. <laughs> exactly. And I, I love that game. Um, I think I love that, that, that. Ubisoft, and I worked for Ubisoft. Um, I'll tell you that Ubisoft um, was one of my favorite um, gaming companies to work for. I, I love the people, love the culture. Um, it reminds me a lot of where I am today at Alchemy Labs. Very, 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 very similar, um, which was very, why I joined at Alchemy Labs. I, I, you know, it, it was a natural fit. Um, I love the way that Ubisoft develops games. Um, they really go in and um, are incredibly creative. Um, and 
one of the things that I found most interesting about working at Ubisoft is that they're not afraid to to take a gamble on a technology. When the when the um, Nintendo Wii U launched, um, th- they built games for it, mm-hmm. you know, and and the reason why is because they wanted to master the technology to make sure that they actually understood how it worked, so that they can instrument their games in such a way that if if the if the Wii U, for example, were to take off, they would have the experience. Um, to build product on it. And so um, they're an innovative company um, in the sense that they, they, um, they embrace, you know, all technologies um, that launch in the games, uh, in the games uh, industry. If they hadn't launched on the Wii U, I would not have been introduced to Ubisoft games. I think the, I think Assassin's Creed three might've been the first one that they launched. And if I'm incorrect, I'm apologize. It was that but- zombie U. Yes. Oh, yes. And I had, That's right. I had both of those. <laughs> and that was when I fell in love with Assassin's Creed is I played three first. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm like, we have to get I was a PlayStation or something like that. And I was like, I have to go back and play these Assassin's Creed games because it just was so much fun. And that was thanks to them. Yeah. Committing and putting their games on the Wii U, which was just what exactly. an ambitious project because looking back at the wii u it was very ahead of its time exactly <laughs> yes, I, I would say that um and I, I was watching um ubisoft's announcement they have a lot of assassins games coming out um, but the one i'm most interested in is the uh, vr um yeah. game because i just think it's a, a unique take um in terms of bringing that ip to the to the platform and really experiencing sort of the fantasy fulfillment of being an assassin, mm-hmm. right? Because you're actually moving, you're actually engaging in the world. And that's the beauty of VR. It really, really drops you right into the middle of the action. And so um, as you as you play as an assassin, um, you're going to be doing all the motions. You're going to be really, you're going to really feel like you're part of the universe. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. And with one of my favorite um, IPs. That's an interesting comparison you make between Ubisoft and Alchemy, a something I hadn't thought about, but like how foundational or, or like important to Alchemy's rec- reputation of being there at on the ground floor for VR with like the first major VR game I ever had recommended me to was Vacation or Job Simulator um, and then later Vacation Simulator. Um, but Alchemy being there at the start and being able to level up and continue uh, progressing their expertise with the technology and in the space has allowed them to get where they are now. Exactly. And I think, um, you know, some of the innovations that we've, you know, developed, especially around the, around hand tracking, um, and our pinch technology, um, is really, has been really amazing. Alchemy Labs has spent the last seven years really, really building out with the, with the release, you know, first with a vacation simulator and, um, and now with our, tech demo that we showcased at GDC, really showing how hand tracking has really, really um, become a mainstay. And, and we really believe that the future of VR, now there'll be a place for peripherals like um, the, the controllers that you see. I think that, I don't think that those will go away 100% completely, but I think hand um, and your hands as a controller will be the mainstay. It just makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's, it, we're, you know, we want to get, we want to make sure that um, any type of play is mass market play. We want to be not only, we don't only want to bring in 
12, 13, 14 year old players who, you know, will excel quickly at these games. We also want our parents, our grandparents to play this game, uh, our games. And I think hand tracking allows us to be able to deliver that experience in a meaningful way um, because we're already used to using our hands. And so um, as you look at our technology, um, specifically with our GDC demo, we we have the most advanced hand tracking um, technology to date. There's no one else that's done it quite like us. We um, are able to um, really, really move our our, uh, hands through the environment. We have a pinch technology that allows us to grab onto dials, to move things around. It's it's completely validating for us, even to know that Apple Vision Pro is coming without without controllers. You know, they're 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 disregarding the controllers and they're using things like eye tracking and hand tracking to really really um, really drive the experience. Not only with game, but well, they have they didn't announce any games, but if you look at their ecosystem there will be games coming to it. They can't ignore it. Um, you know, they, in 2021, Apple made about 52 billion in game revenue sale sales. So this, while they have, didn't show anything at, at, in their preview at Apple's uh, worldwide developers conference, we know that they're going, they're going to embrace um, games eventually. Um, they positioned the device mostly as a technology for uh, developers and Apple enthusiasts, but you know we're hoping that within the next couple of years they'll be launching headsets that are more mass market um, that allow more people to come into the into the ecosystem, um, the Apple ecosystem, and be able to do a lot of different things. Gaming being one of them, mm-hmm. kind of like your iPhone. Your iPhone serves as a, as a device that keeps you on track with calendars. You've got your email. You've got gaming. You've got uh, you know, your health apps, you've got all sorts of experiences in your iPhone. Imagine that in a, in a VR, AR headset where you're actually right. able to also engage in those experiences, but in a different way. Um, and then, and then there'll be a lot of what I call uh, sort of innovative competition. Um, that's not disruptive where we're going to be creating a ton of, a, a lot of new jobs are going to be created because of this technology, similar to when the iPhone one launched, and there were only a few apps. Now you look at the app store today, there's thousands of apps. And so we're gonna be seeing um, a huge growth in, this, in our business um, in terms of not only the technology, but also the job creation, the ideas that are gonna to come to market, the creativity that's gonna happen. Um, it's gonna solve for use cases, not only in games, but it's gonna solve use cases in things like education, um, industry, such as healthcare, automotive, um, it's going to create new ways for us to collaborate, communicate, um, to play, um, to learn. It's 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 really truly an incredible technology that's coming to market. This was what I needed from their presentation. So for those who are watching, we've been showing clips of the what the Vision Pro uh, looks like that Apple revealed last week um, that will be coming out. They say early 2024 at like a $3,500 price tag, but you have like hit all the things that they were showing. But I think people who are not like very tuned into VR and AR, like maybe wouldn't um, understand like why they were showing certain things, like how big of a deal it is that it doesn't have controllers. And I know we talked this like to death at Alchemy, but it, it really is important that like 
controllers are a barrier of entry for many people. Like to us who maybe play a lot of games, we're used to learning like contro new controllers and like mapping sequences for buttons. But if I put my parents into my meta quest right now, <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do. My mom would be like, she would be frozen standing there with the controllers, not being able to see them with a thing strapped to her face. And she'd be like, I don't know what to do. And I'd be like, point at a thing and click it. And she'd be like, I, I do not know how to do it. And so trying the, I tried the alchemy demo because we showed that at GDC and that it was a hand tracking demo that you guys made in it has a job sim skin on it but it was so intuitive and i put it on and i was like oh i'm like as soon as i tried it i got it like it it was one thing to talk right? about it like yeah like hand tracking is <laughs> like really important and alchemy labs is like doing a lot in that field and just like trying to push it forward and then i tried it and i was like i I could touch everything. It it really, it maps all your knuckles and like you want to pick up a mug by the handle or the side or the top. You want to squeeze a bottle. It, it's just very, very intuitive. Um, and it's great. And I'll tell you that, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you, if you play the GD, our GDC demo, you can actually throw things up in the air and catch it with the other hand. I mean, it, it's that, it's that robust. Our hand tracking is incredibly robust. Um, and I also just want to, you know, talk a little bit about what the impact of Apple's headset announcement really means for VR. <clears throat> to me, it's a sign that um, VR is finally going mainstream. And think of it, Apple is one of the most popular tech companies in the world. And its entry into the VR market is an endorsement of the technology. Um, yeah. And we're going to see a lot more companies investing in VR, as well as uh, content creators developing for VR. Um, it's going to create a whole new wave of VR innovation. Um, and Apple is known to be an innovative company. Um, and eventually Apple will release an affordable headset. And that's incredibly exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bloomberg, um, making, are, um, I can't remember who at Bloomberg, Sam, you might know. Mark Gurman. Uh, Mark if Gurman, anybody yes. is interested, specifically in Apple, I would highly recommend his Power On newsletter. It sends every Sunday. And he's been reporting on, you know, what, maybe was going to be called the Apple reality. I forget what some of the other code names were, but uh, he's been following it for a really long time. And yeah, as you know, it will come when it comes, but of course wasn't included in the presentation is that this is focused on developers as Rob said, but Apple does have plans to make a, a more consumer friendly version, i.e. not $3,500. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, Apple vision one, uh, as Caitlin noted, putting actually putting a number on it. Uh, Caitlin nailed it. Um, but yeah, just the thought of this getting into a more mainstream consumer's hands is incredibly exciting. But of course, like the first step, as you noted, Rob, is setting developers up for success with this pro version, allowing all developers to get creative and create productivity, lifestyle, gaming apps. I'm incredibly excited to see where it goes from here. Exactly. And I can't wait for us to you know, get, a, you know, eventually, hopefully we'll be able to work on the Apple uh, platform. We haven't announced anything, of course, but I'd love to see it. I'd, I'd love to see how our hand tracking technology would work on it because again, we are leading in hand tracking. Um, our GDC demo, um, our cafe demo, if you haven't seen it, um, go to our YouTube uh, site or you can watch it here. Live. Yeah, watch it's, the video version. <laughs> watch the video version. It's incredibly robust. 
Um, our teams are in, incredibly talented at building um, and experienced in building this. I mean, this this tech has taken us, a, a, you know, some time to um, to perfect, but it's just going to get better. Like what we showed, what we showed at GDC, you know, a few months ago, our, our tech just keeps on improving you know, month over month. So um, it's just an incredibly exciting time being validated in such a way um, in the space um, and understanding that hand tracking is um, a medium that is going to really, really um, have legs, especially um, knowing that Apple has ditched their controllers. Yeah. I, and it was just in the last clip that was shown on our video podcasts, but with the, the keyboard in the tech demo. So to preface when, when the VR or when the VR, when Apple announced their headset, I saw a lot of people in the industry say like, Oh, you get rid of controllers. You're getting rid of haptic feedback. And that's a negative thing for people who are using these headsets. If you saw the demo, some, something that Alchemy did. And I was like, I didn't realize it until it was said to me is like, you know, you pinch the letters instead of like poking. So your fingers are actually giving yourself haptic feedback because you're pressing them together. And once you're in the headset and you're doing it physically, like you, you feel it like you're getting haptic feedback. Eventually your brain just like forgets that it's your own fingers and it feels like you're actually touching something. Um, same. I would say, yeah, I would say that the human mind is incredibly adaptable to experiences and well, this is what we call self-haptic feedback. So when you pinch and your fingers come together, um, that experience creates that sense of haptic. And when you do it enough, um, it becomes realistic. And, it, and your brain gets rewired um, to believe that that's actually what's happening. So you don't need the, you don't need to hear the clicking sound or, the, or, the, or feel the, um, the tops of a keyboard. Use, pinching provides that sort of uh, feeling within um, our technology. And as people get used to it, that becomes the haptic feedback. You don't have to rely on a controller. The, the haptic feedback is in your hands. I, I can't find my my iPhone, but I was, oh, well, here's one. Oh, and it's not on. <laughs> one iPhone. <laughs> yeah, different iPhone. Um, but like, that's what happened with the, with the iPhone. When they got rid of, like, when the, it came out, it was just a screen. And people were like, well, how are you going to type on a, on a flat screen without feedback. Then they added the clicking noise. So you're typing on your screen and you're hearing that clicking noise. Like that is a form of haptic, like that's a form of feedback in your brain. Exactly. You're like, Oh, I'm typing on a keyboard. Then the iPhones got better. And now like the phone vibrates. And obviously that's not happening if you're in a headset and you don't have anything on your hands, but there are companies who've, they have already released like gloves that work with like the quest and the valve index that, will like vibrate they have like full body suits it's just like <laughs> there are things out there if you're like you really want all of the haptic feedback you could go find and do that but yeah but what rob what you said is you're right like th- the mind is incredible and it's very adaptable so i i don't think after people start using it i think it's just going to become very intuitive exactly and i would say that um you know, the controllers still do have a place in the market. I don't think that they're going to be, that they're going to drive it, but there are use cases where a control, because a controller might, until until the technology becomes incredibly precise with your hands, and, you know, I'm not sure how far, how long that is going to take. It's going to really depend on the headsets that come to market, but controllers will have their their place. And I can imagine a world where, for example, and I'm not saying, I, I don't have any, any knowledge, I'm just um, 
just shooting the shit here, is that um, Apple could license a peripheral with their headset, so they don't they don't have to worry about you know um, a peripheral because um, they're they're focused on 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 hand tracking, and so people uh, experiences or use cases that require peripheral, there there might be that that sort of um, that sort of uh, peripheral on in the market that you can actually pick up and buy separately. So, and you've seen that likening it to other Apple devices, like with the backbone controller for the iPhone of, you know, when touch controls don't fit the need for a mobile game, the other companies that Apple have supported have stepped in and provided a solution there. And so I'll be interested to see how that happens with vision pro. I, I'm happy to leave it to the third party companies because Apple is not one for remotes or controllers. You know, usually it's just the device itself. Uh, but in the case of the Apple TV remote, which I kind of hate, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that hopefully other people will be handing, handling any potential controls here do or you, do you have the, to our hands. Do you have the old Apple TV remote or do you have the one that comes with the 4K? I think it's the the really thin old one that like slides between your couch cushion, like... Yeah. Do you, oh, I, That's a all good my, one. all my stuff is across the room. The, the, it's like a little metal one and it's no longer the bottom isn't like smooth. It's like a, mm. it's like a little metal controller. It's much better than their first okay. Apple TV controller. However, I still just use my phone because uh, the phone works as a controller. And so like I have my Apple TV controller, which is, I think is brilliant. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, your, your, your phone does everything else. Why can't it be a controller? You know, right. why can't it be something like something else that's useful within your house? Right. And I don't think Apple minds. No. <laughs> I think they want you to have that phone in your hand all the it, time. My phone usually <laughs> is. This is the one time where I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't actually know where my phone is. <laughs> um, it's usually attached to my hip. Well, speaking of the ecosystem, I think, you know, talking about the, the Vision Pro, I think that's going to be so key to its success. Um, you know, I think, part of the unique value proposition of the Apple Watch is its integration with your iPhone, being able to get notifications, integrate with your music library, track your health that then gets sent to the rest of your Apple profile. And I think it's going to be, cannot be overstated how like important it is that the vision, I keep wanting to call it the reality pro, the vision pro uh, is going <laughs> to connect to your MacBook or your Apple TV or your iPhone. Um, whereas I know, you know, in the past, like famously with headlines, some people are very apprehensive to connect their meta or Facebook account to a meta headset. I think people are naturally a bit more uh, eager or at least a welcoming of the Apple ecosystem. Oh, for sure. You know, it's interesting because Apple really builds connected experiences um, into their ecosystem because they want you to experience, they want you to be able to move from device to device without losing um, content, without, without losing that magical experience that you, that you get from their ecosystem as you use all their devices. You know, it's, it's very great. I mean, what I love about Apple is that I'm able to move from my, my iPhone to my, you know, other Apple devices and, without without losing content where without losing you know where i was in a document everything you know everything basically transcends across the, across that whole ecosystem allowing me to work at home jump on a bus use my phone to finish up that work that i was doing get into the office now i have the opportunity to use a vision pro to 
uh, maybe make make connect with some some uh, employees overseas or some or someone that um, or do some creative maybe create some creative content online and then go back on the bus and with that content having I'm using my iPhone or my tablet continue my work or continue play or whatever it is I'm doing and then get back home on my on my uh, laptop Apple laptop and then continue working or engaging in some sort of entertainment activity or productivity. It's, it's that kind of ecosystem that's seamless and, and almost addictive that keep, keep people um, engaged across the board. You know, it, it, it makes me think about, um, you know, there are two iPhones that I loved. Uh, like I thought were like the best iPhones that Apple has ever launched. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the iPhone 6S. Um, I was upgrading almost every year until I got to the 6S. I didn't trade in my 6S until I got to the 10XR. Uh, and the- I still have the 10XR and I'm still having a hard time justifying what the up- what the upgrade is. Obviously the camera, because the camera's improved and I hate the quality of my pictures now, which is why I'm looking for um, the iPhone 15, um, which is probably when I'm going to upgrade. But, it, but from a productivity, from a gaming perspective, from um, the use cases I, I need it for, I haven't really needed to upgrade um, because that the technology on the um, iPhone XR is that good, um, and it, I, in, in my mind, was one of the one of the superior Apple products that was launched. Was the ten was it. my and favorite? I, I can still use it with all the other devices. It hasn't, it, you know, I haven't lost, um, uh, you know, the 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 power of the of the um, of the ecosystem just because I'm using an older device. I haven't. I have a newer laptop. I can still do the work. I can still uh, still engage. I can you know I can use still use all the different apps. Yeah, um, and, and that's the beauty. It's so good for people who are people who are already into the ecosystem. Jumping into that, it's it's going to feel easy and familiar. Like it is its own OS system. They, I Sam, do you remember what it's called? Spatial OS. Spatial OS. Yeah, it's a whole new os however it's when you look at it you're like oh that just that looks like my my iphone or my ipad screen when it's like factory settings like when i first get it and open it up (laughs) it all looks the same the icons are just like little circles now instead of little squares exactly (laughs) was the was the 6s the last one with a headphone jack i'm not i don't remember because i i never i never upgraded between six and ten so i think like you (laughs) i held on to my six for as long as i possibly could um but that is what i'm trying to confirm this seven vision Vision os was the last headphone jack okay there you go um but that is a good point i hadn't thought about i know there is the whole internet meme about how apple devices eventually like just give up on you to encourage upgrading but when they when they do work they last for a really long time i held on to my macbook pro for eight years um you know the iphones you know my (laughs) i have family members still rocking their fours or their fives and so to i think part of the strategy behind the vision pro rollout is that whenever the consumer facing version comes out it's it will still be expensive but knowing apple's reputation when you get your hands on that, it you'll be good to use it for a decade. Oh, for sure. I think I think that that, that it's going to have a lot of legs and longevity, and I think that the people who are going to upgrade are going to be people who are super hardcore fans. And 
you know, and, and also, you know, if, if they offer a new tech or they offer a new experience, I mean, really, when you start looking at the hardware, hardware is awesome. Like, I, I love that the, that the hardware is so powerful and it does a lot of different things. But at the end, it's really content and content creation that drive purchase intent. Because people want to be able to play in worlds or experience, um, have new experiences. And if you have the right content, people will always upgrade. They'll always upgrade. And I've seen it in the gaming industry. Um, you, you see, you know, good example is, you know, PCs. People are always upgrading their video cards because they want the most hyper-realistic, hyper-experience um, um, as they play games. You know, if you have the right content, people will always pick up um, the technology, the hardware that will deliver that experience. Um, and and again, you know, we've seen it across new consoles launching um, as well um, as PC upgrades, specifically around video cards. Yeah. And what's interesting about this headset is Apple con- continuously kept saying spatial computing when talking about this, because in a way, I think someone at our, at our company actually brought this up and they're like, does, will this headset, not this one specific, but future iterations of it replace a laptop in 10 years or less? I mean, it, it can, the, the chips that are in it, one has the M2 chip, which is the chip that's in the current MacBook models. It's a, it's an actual, it's what runs my MacBook air right now. Big selling point on this that I only bought a few weeks ago. And now to think that it's going to be in a VR headset is wild. It blows my mind. Yes. And then the R1 chip, which is a new chip from Apple. And that's what processes all the information from the sensors, cameras, and microphone in real time. Um, So it's already got an extra chip than our laptops do because it's, it's processing so much more information at a time and such a smaller hardware that's attached to your face. Um, and I don't know, it just, to me, was really interesting that Apple was really leaning into like the spatial computing, like they, and entertainment, um, which we can talk about why that is as well. But I'd like your thoughts on like, do you see this being a replacement for a laptop? You know, it's, it's, that's really hard to say because, um, it really depends on the, again, content and, um, you know, where we're, where we're going to be in the consumer electronics industry. Um, I do believe that t- technology is going to get sm- smaller, um, and you know, and, and that's and, and we're already seeing that happen um, on the MetaQuest uh, three. Mm-hmm. It's gotten smaller. Um, the Apple heads, the Apple uh, Vision uh, Pro headset is actually you know much small as well, and so we're seeing the sort of the miniaturization of, of the technology to the point where I think it'll become glasses. I mean, eventually that's, that's, that's the, you know, that's one of the end states. Um, and I don't believe it'll replace, um, laptops, but you know, who knows? Um, you know, I've seen, you know, we've seen changes in, in people's um, behaviors and when, when they're using technology, but I think it will be, um, another entry point into the Apple ecosystem for their, for the experiences that they want their customers, um, to engage in. Um, yeah. And it could, you know, it could replace, and it could replace some of their um, older technology. And so that is a, a huge possibility. But I think it's too early to say which direction it'll go, go, um, because it's really, really going to depend on what's being created um, 
and how much investment goes into um, the industry. Yeah. And I feel like Apple is perfectly set up to creating content specifically for their users. You think about like how much Apple TV has grown as a product. And I'm talking about like the Apple TV, like plus or whatever, like you can watch baseball games and like the soccer or football and like you can, they make their own movies and TVs. Like how does their process of capturing these games and making movies change now with the vision pro, like, are you going to be sitting courtside? I think someone else in our, in our company said this and I was like, Oh, that's so smart. Like they're going to announce, are they going to start filming sports games courtside so that like anybody who has a vision pro and is subscribed to Apple TV plus can put that on and they're seeing the game from courtside. Like, that's an experience that not many people get to experience because they can't afford courtside tickets. But yeah, I think that'll be really interesting to be honest with you, because you know, their partnership with, with Disney, um, mm-hmm. as you know, Disney owns ESPN. Disney also bought a VR company years ago. I, I can't think of the name of the company they bought, but you know, I, I believe that we're going to have incredibly unique experiences coming to VR that are, we have, we can't even imagine. Um, where you're going to be sitting and you're going to be right in front of the action, like right there in your VR headset. Um, and it's going to create an incredibly different experience for the people who own that headset, similar to gaming, similar to going into a concert and for example, watching Ed Sheeran, um, you know, front stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an opportunity there for people to actually experience these, experience like, for example, a concert, and being front stage and having to pay for, for a ticket to have that concert. Um, what we haven't seen yet is um, the social experience that the Vision Pro will pro- provide. And just like the iPhone 1, the first iPhone ever created, it wasn't a social platform. Um, but as the technology grew and, and more uh, content um, and experiences were created, it became a more collaborative platform. Um, yeah. So I, I have high hopes that Apple will do the same thing um, and bring people together in a, in, a, in a place where they can enjoy, you know, watching the Warriors play or watching the 49ers, um, you know, win the Super Bowl and things like that. <laughs> so, um, and, you, and these will be paid experiences unless you're a subscriber, for example, to a, to a service. So I think that there's a lot of potential and we're just scratching the surface right now of what that potential can, can be. Um, so it's, it's an exciting time. What's interested me about this discussion, uh, and the vision pro at large is the way Apple is positioning it. Um, the, you know, we're bouncing between entertainment, productivity, social, whereas I feel like largely what we've seen in the VR space right now, from a hardware perspective, are lanes of like, you know, whether it's the PSVR two or the meta quest, um, not the pro versions um, that definitely seem strictly targeted at gamers. While of course they have other features, um, those seem to be their predominant demographics. Whereas when the MetaQuest Pro was announced, that was focused on productivity, lifestyle, workplace um, use cases. Uh, it is interesting and it, it may be necessary given its price point to see Apple position it as this all-in-one, uh, you know, device that even again returning to the mark german uh newsletter he said if done right 
and and you are willing to spend your entire day in the headset could replace your iPhone, your iPad, and your MacBook. Well, I would say that um, that yes, I mean, you, I mean, you, you know, uh, that's sort of the dream. Like Apple would love for you to sit in there, you know, experience their time. We, and we already do. I mean, if you own an Apple iPhone, you know, you that. As you leave the house, that's one of the first things you grab. Maybe you might not even grab your wallet because you don't need it because you can actually make payments out of your iPhone. So, um, you know, the dream is to have people connected, um, you know, similar to to the Quest um, 2, where, you you know, I've seen videos of hundreds of people sitting in an audience kind of watching or, or doing something at the Facebook headquarters. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's a different way of bringing people together. Um, you know, I think when when I look at both um, how how the Vision Pro has been positioned versus the Quest Three or or the Quest in general, it's you know I, I think eventually Apple Apple knows that it has to in, incorporate different parts of the ecosystem such as gaming, such as entertainment, but it's really really folk again it's really really focused on that sort of high end user and developer um, so that they can actually build experience learn to build experiences so that when they launch. And hopefully in the future, when they launch um, a headset that's more mass market, that there will be there'll be a lot of products um, and services and technologies and experiences that people will engage in. Um, in contrast, the Quest has um, really interestingly positioned itself as a gaming headset. It launched the Quest Pro, which is more of a um, utility sort of productivity um, headset. Um, but I think um, I think really where it's built out its market is is around gaming, and that's what it's uh, it's known for. It's trying to pull itself, you know, um, it's trying to create a separate um, product to to address another use case. But I, I think overall, it's great to see both of these companies coming into the market and really, really driving innovation and competition, because that's when we're really going to see advances in AR and VR. Um, hardware technology. Eventually, yeah. you know, we're, I mean, and I don't think that's going to be one versus the other. I think that they're going to both carve out a market share similar to what Apple has done with, um, you know, iOS and, and Android. It's just going to be, it's going to be like that. And, um, and there'll be other, other headsets. I'm, I'm sure that'll come to market eventually, mm-hmm. but right now these, these are the two. And I think I'm excited that there is a second competitor because it just it just provides that sort of innovation that you that you really want, and that investment that you really want into the industry, so that um, it can grow and can and grow big and it can grow fast. Yeah, no, we we don't want one headset to monopolize the market because if you exactly <laughs> you want one pro thing and that headset doesn't have it, then you don't have another option. And I'm sure I don't know what Valve is doing, but <laughs> maybe they'll. And maybe they'll come back and they're like, we've announced, we're announcing a new headset and we know Byte Dance's Pico has announced the uh, Pico 4 last year and not sure if that will enter U.S. markets or not, but. Hopefully, eventually. Yeah. And, uh, that's, and that's another, that's, you bring up a good point. I mean, we, there is a, a third company, it's Pico and they have a headset. Um, it's not in the U.S. yet, but, you know, it's, it rivals the, the quest in terms of technology and, and we're, you know, um, its offerings as well. So um, eventually, hopefully it'll eventually make its way into the U S so that we actually have a third headset. I mean, 
you know, that's, that's, the only, that's what's going to spur innovation. That's what's going to help us, you know, experience different things um, and bring creators together to, to build things again that we, we, you know, can only imagine. Mm-hmm. And to hammer home a point that Rob made earlier about the legitimization of the space that Apple does by entering it, um, you know, competition is good in general, but especially when it is Apple entering, like I think about the tablet or even like the, the wearable space, like sure. how niche it was to see anybody with a smartwatch before the Apple watch came. And even then again, I think as we'll see here, it took two to three years for it to become pretty common to see Apple watches out on the street, but it only took a few people I knew to get one for them to then demo it for me be like, okay, that is pretty cool. And it was the same thing with the iPad. Um, tablets were around, but uh, you know, they just boomed uh, when Apple came out with the iPad. So I think I, I am excited about the prospect of the same thing happening in this space. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, and it was interesting how Apple had showcased some examples of how the headset can be used for a lot of different things, um, design, art, collaboration. Um, it kind of reminds me how... Um, you know, when, when the gaming industry was first started, it was really an entertainment activity for like nerds and people, you know, who, you know, you, you had your image of of the gamer today, (laughs) your image of the gamer is, you know, your kid brother, uh, your older brother, your uncle, your grandma. I mean, it's, it's (laughs) really just, it's become a, a basically social currency. Um, so that people of all ages of all genders are playing games. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the game is. It's just that they're engaging in this, in this form of entertainment um, because they, they they appreciate they appreciate games and they've grown uh, fond of of games. One question I have for you, Rob, while we're talking about like market differentiation and position, I'm curious what you thought about Apple's focus on showcasing the hardware on AR. Of how, so much of the demo footage was focused on things being cast in your room, you still feeling that sense of physical space. Of course, it will have incredible immersive and like true VR capabilities, but I'm curious what you thought about that focus on keeping the user somewhat grounded in reality. Sure. I think, you know, it's, it's, you bring up an interesting point because nothing about the metaverse was announced and um <laughs> which i with which, which is great because i think we are living the metaverse right now yeah, yeah. but i think what a, so when you look at ar technology um and vr technology ar technology right now is something that you can actually experience in your in your iphone you can go and shop at ikea and look at a piece of furniture and use your iphone to you know get an idea of what that furniture will look like in your, in your space. And a lot of um, e-commerce sites offer that option. And so it, it gives you product demonstrations. Um, you know, you can actually run virtual tours. You can do a lot of different things um, in an AR environment. Um, you know, you, you have companies like Niantic who are creating incredibly, uh, and they're the leaders in, in AR, who, who are putting characters in the real world. Pokemon goes an amazing, amazing experience. Um, and so what you're seeing right now is, is just an, a, a different approach to AR and VR. I think they're going to embrace, embrace it first, but because we've already seen, um, the meta uh, quest, uh, quest two, or, and, and obviously the meta quest three 
come in as a VR device. I think that they are pivoting as an AR device to cover off on that part of the market because right now with the MetaQuest, there are no real strong AR experiences um, because of the pass-through. They, the MetaQuest 3 will have full pass-through in its color. So I it, it feels like we you had like the two extremes where it was like sure. no pass-through and it's just like an AR machine, a VR machine. And to me, it, it seems like we're just going, these devices are all just going to meld into the middle and like you, you need that AR aspect and pass-through because like I've said before, strapping a device on where you cannot see your surroundings is a, it's a huge hindrance for a lot of like the mainstream consumer people. It's one of the things that I hate the most about my quest is I'm like constantly having to take it off my head, look around. Yeah. I'm like, someone's <laughs> talking to me and I'm like, I feel so weird that I can't see you right now. Um, though I'm not sure if that will change because I don't know how I feel about Apple having that outward facing camera and like, maybe I can see them, but they're just seeing these <laughs> virtual eyes. That is sure. still very strange. Um, but it's, at least it's better. It's, well, well, I'll get used to that. I mean, yeah. if, they, if they keep the technology and who knows how long they'll keep, keep that version of the technology in, in the, in the hardware. But, um, it is very, it, it is a very different experience to be able to project your eyes, um, <laughs> like on just, the goggles. <laughs> just like you're sitting on an airplane. Cause to me, I'm like, oh, I would totally use this on the plane and just like, watch a movie and I feel like I'm in a theater or something like that. And I'm like the like stewardess coming by and tapping you on the shoulder and like, do you want anything to drink? And you just stare at her (laughs) and your eyes just appear. Exactly. What a strange, like awkward experience. But yeah, I mean, we're humans. We'll adapt. We'll probably get used to it, but it's a little weird. Yeah. I was a little bummed that um, the experience on the, on the vision pro is going to, it's about two hours. I think battery yeah, life. Yeah. So that's not even, I mean, if you look at the, the, I mean, obviously entertainment is a big focus, but if you took it on a plane, oh, unless yeah. you have a number of, of battery packs, you won't be able to finish a movie. Most movies are, you know, two plus hours. Yeah. Um, I. That's a great point. Yeah. Especially because <laughs> they, they focused on everything movies. everywhere here. I'm pretty sure that's over two hours. <laughs> it is. Exactly. <laughs> uh I'm sure, I'm, yeah, third-party devices, they'll have an external, like, battery thing that will last longer. It's- hopefully. <laughs> but then you're going to have to carry this, you know, extra device along with you. So hopefully that, that the miniaturization of that and the sort of the, the, the compactness of the device will be able to solve for some of those things um, yeah. in the future. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not too bummed that the battery's not, like, on the device. I'm like, I can easily, like put the battery in my back pocket and the cord coming out the back. Like that's not that big of a deal. I can play my quest plugged in and I like, I tape it along the side of the (laughs) straps that it comes out the back instead of the side. Um, And I'm like, that's fine. If it's coming out the back, I'm like, the cord doesn't bother me. So I'm like, if it relieves the weight of the headset, I'm okay for the time being a battery being an external device because I just, the heavy headsets, I get such a bad headache when I like, oh, for sure. quest. <laughs> I'm like, I've tried every headset now. I have got a bunch in my closet trying to find one where I'm like, we'll relieve. Um, and there's some that do better jobs than others, but I, I am curious and putting the vision quest on and 
how that's going to feel, especially with the battery not being on it. Yeah, the, the Vision Pro will be an interesting. I, I can't wait to get my hands on one either, just to just to experience it because it's it looks pretty cool. I mean, it's you know it has all your apps. You know, you you're, you're looking at all your apps. You're actually able to see photos. Um, it's incredibly immersive. Just even some of the the use cases that they were showcasing are incredibly immersive. I, you know, I was, when I, when I first saw, um, you know, the idea of watching a movie or um, seeing some photos and stuff, just, I almost felt like, wow, this could actually replace my TV set. Um, Cause I do, I actually do like to watch movies alone. Um, and there's occasions where I like movies are a social experience. Um, but just having that big screen, having spatial audio um, help drive that experience was pretty amazing. And I thought to myself, God, I don't think I need to buy a new TV set if I can actually run this. If this if this device could last for more than two hours, because um, typically I usually typically binge, binge watch uh, movies um, and and just sit one night just with my with my uh, Vision Pro Pro uh, Two or rather sorry Vision Pro and really get immersed and just let um, time and space, you know, disappear. Yeah. I, I don't know if we've seen it, but what I really like about it is I think it's on the side of the headset and you can like turn it and it allows you like your field of vision, like disappears. Oh, your little dial, the little dial. So you can like change the surroundings so that you're like, however immersed you want to be like, do you want to feel like you're still in your living room or do you really want to like dial it so that it kind of all (laughs) disappears and then you're just like looking at a movie or like the sky or Or visiting Mars, you know, I mean, Mars. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many different things and so many different experiences are going back in time and, you know, experiencing dinosaurs or, you know, and then making that experience as big or as small as you want it on your headset, mm-hmm. depending on the on the type of um, immersive immersive experience that you want. Yeah, maybe we're just like I'm just such a tech nerd. I'm like I want to try <laughs> all the new things. It's cool. Um, I do think the dad wearing it, taking video of his children's a little weird. A little black mirror. A little black yeah. mirror. It's it's giving the the dad with the video camera like camcorder following you around and you're like that's my only memory of my dad like i tease it's 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 a little strange it's a little strange looking but it it is what it is but i think it's going to be as normal as as carrying your iphone eventually people are going to have their headsets and again they're going to get smaller so they're going to be easier to transport over time you know i mean eventually we're going to have you know smaller and smaller headsets and um people are just going to you know take them with them i mean Think about, I know it took a long time. This is probably the worst example, but uh, I remember when the block phone came, I was really, really young and my parents got that big brick and they brought and they're like, we have a phone, but <laughs> they could never use it because it was too expensive to use. Um, and look how small phones got, yeah. you know, <laughs> but everything's, uh, everything's also starting to get a little bigger because a small always ne- doesn't always uh, provide the best experiences especially when you're engaging in a multimedia device with lots of applications. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm trying to hold it in. Oh, apologies guys. I'm like, 
Okay, I think I'm good. I, think I couldn't I'm interrupt good. that. The tension of it was too good. I know. I'm like, I could not tell if I was going to sneeze, but I think it's past. Is this going to be a blooper? Or are you going to cut this out? <laughs> Wait, yeah. If I sneeze, no, I think we'll keep it in. It's fine. <laughs> oh, we well, I think that's maybe a sign uh, that uh, we've covered a lot of ground with the yeah. Vision Pro. Rob, any closing thoughts about the device or the future of VR, AR that we haven't touched on that you feel like we should discuss before we wrap up? You know, I, I think that um, just a couple of things, you know, um, you know, when I when I think about, you know, we have two different headsets that are in market. We have several different headsets, but you know, we, we have two, we have Apple and we have the meta headset. And as you, as people start thinking about what type of headset they want to buy first, I would think about what type of experiences you want as a, you know, and that is, that should really, really drive your purchasing decision. And then you should decide what type of headset does it have, you know, the, the, the features and functions that you need? You know, does it have the content, you know, uh, not just the content that you're looking for, but a variety of content that you can, can engage in. Um, and so really um, you can't go wrong. I think both um, Vision Pro and Meta offer great experiences. It's just the, the flavor, the experience that you want to um, engage in. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that both now, now we have two um, folks in the industry that are going to be driving uh, AR and VR. And I look forward to seeing um, what comes next yeah. for sure. Agreed. From a marketing perspective, like I'm, I'm excited to see them make the use cases for those different experiences and, you know, what can be found on one versus the other, even if they might both be capable of each where they kind of stake their flag in the in the battlefield if you will for sure and i think storytelling and content creation are going to be really important um, ar and vr technologies provide innovative innovative ways to tell brand stories and create engaging content i think some of those examples are you know brand collaborations um you know i, I mentioned pokemon go and you know ed sheeran concerts um you know when i worked at ea we did a collaboration with moschino and jeremy scott um we did a real life uh capsule collection um and, and we launched the game. And so you're going to start seeing in a w- innovative ways of storytelling and bringing, being very customer centric and bringing those customers to your platform to engage in your experiences. I also think that, that uh, from a marketing perspective, we're going to see advertising and promotions really um, transform the traditional advertising with overlaying um, digital content onto real, wor- onto real world spaces. And so um, for brands to create interactive AR and VR experiences. Um, And I also think that, um, you know, this is a great time to even start experiencing, like if you want a taste of, you know, what's to come, you know, pick up your iPhone today. Um, If you haven't bought a headset, pick up your iPhone today and start experiencing AR. It's available. You can can just pick up your phone and, and really start playing around with it. And, you know, once you're ready to upgrade and really experience, you know, this, this, experience this pick up a headset but look at the content that you want and and so that's those are my parting words i love it that you the ed sheeran comment all of a sudden just ignited oh shoot i forgot apple does the halftime show now will there be ar vr super bowl (laughs) halftime shows right uh so much to look forward to (laughs) for sure (laughs) i want to i don't know if you saw i want to watch the baseball game there was one where they the pitcher threw the ball and it bounced off the bat and hit immediate right into the camera 
the cameraman didn't even like flinch and like you just like <laughs> see the screen shatter. I'm like, I want to sit in VR and just like have the baseball come right at you. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Rob. I that was like a just very insightful conversation. I really enjoyed it. So I just really appreciate you coming on and joining us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, a lot of really good topics and uh, thank you again. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have you on when the, the headset launches and if you get the headset, you'll have to tell us all about it. Cause I won't, won't be spending the $3,500 price tag on it, but I am curious. Um, that, that is the one thing I forgot. Like, the, the lines at Apple stores, like, yep. can you imagine? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be in line. <laughs> I want to try it. <laughs> yeah, I'll be in line too. I'll, just pull I'll the credit card out. And sure. <laughs> start saving now. Well, you don't have to pull out your credit card. Just use your iPhone. <laughs> True. Yeah, my <laughs> Apple Pay. Exactly. Do I get a discount with Apple Pay? We should. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um. Well, I... I don't know if you use social media. Is do you use social media? Is there a place for people to find you? Who me? Yes, you. Yeah, Twitter. You are on Twitter. Okay, I am on Twitter. For uh, sure. Where can people find you on Twitter? They can. Oh my God, I'm going to have to go back. Um, <laughs> Rabba Dub Dub. Is it? Is that what it is? <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Speaking of, I'll have to take a look PS- again. But, um, but yes, you can find me on on Twitter, um, and uh, I can. And you can also find me, I want to say Instagram, but that's a private account. But you can find me on Twitter. It's open. Um, I believe it's under, let me just take a quick look. Um, now that I have my phone, I, you know, you set up an ID and then you just, then you just tweet. So um, <laughs> let me just pull it up. I had like tried to pull it up and I was like, I can't. Find Your it. handle reminded me, speaking of, I know you worked the PS3 launch, uh, Super Rub-A-Dub. I don't know if that yeah. PlayStation <laughs> Network game means anything to you. <laughs> That's funny. Here it is. It's Rob a dub, Rob a dub dub for you. So R O B A D U B D U B for you. Okay, so you're not the Rob a dub dub that had the Patrick and SpongeBob. Nope. <laughs> I was like, I don't really think that's him. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. That's me. All right. Well, people can find you there. People can find me at Caitlin Redwing across socials. Sam, where can people find you? Also, all across all socials at Sam Scott Mosher. And you can find the podcast at Real Time Strats on Twitter, on YouTube, and the Real Time Strategy on all your podcasting services. We are video now. Um, so this is a great <laughs> one to watch video. So go check out the YouTube. And I'm going to be that really annoying influencer and say subscribe and turn that yes, bell on. Tur- turn the, yeah. Annoying. Ring, I love it. Ring the bell. <laughs> Hit that like button. No, for real. It really would mean a lot to us. Um, and yeah, thank you again so much, Rob, for joining us. This was thank this you was a great again. Conversation. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.